Hello, and welcome to my podcast. This is Coffee and Books with your host, Scott. Hope all of you are doing well. It's been a while. Our latest episode today covers the adventures of Marco Polo. Enjoy! Alright, so to get started with, I want to say, today's book is titled Marco Marco Polo from Venice to Zandu, uh, which is about Marco Polo's travels along a Silk Road and his crazy, almost forgotten adventures that we learn about. It's by Lawrence Begreen. The book came out quite a few years ago. You can easily get it at your public library like I did, and uh, I definitely recommend it. Now, to get started, uh, without too many spoilers, I'm going to give away the plot details of this book, just because this book is sort of, you have to. In order to fully understand it and appreciate it, which we're going to talk about today, I have to tell you what happens in the plot. So, without going into spoilers, for those of you who do not want that, I give the book a 3 out of 5 stars. Alright, so, what did I like about this book? Simply put, I honestly did not know enough about Marco Polo. Yeah, I had some vague idea from when I was in school not long ago, thinking about how successful this world explorer really was. But the truth is, I knew nothing pretty much about him. I didn't even know the full story, the full extent of his contributions towards Western Europe, and eventually even the greatest society of the Western world today. I know that he's important, but I feel it's a shame that most schools sort of skip over this and focus more on Christopher Columbus, who would happen a few hundred years later. So 200 years before Christopher Columbus, we are introduced to Marco Polo, who is from Venice, and he starts his adventures with, of course, not on his own, but with his father. His father, also a Mr. Polo, and his uncle, another Mr. Polo, traveled the world first. And in fact, they made it along the Silk Road into uh, what is now modern-day China. Um, Actually, Beijing, modern-day Beijing, to be specific. It was there that at the court they met the grandson of Genghis Khan, the Mongolians who had basically conquered all of Asia. In the first part of the journey, we're given the story that the father and uncle of Marco Polo basically go there and decide to trade with everyone who they can possibly get their hands on. Uh, mainly, as world-renowned explorers are known to be, they're also pretty good at finances and trading. So, when originally they went out east, or in this case, they went to Asia, they had to pass through quite a bit to get there, and the journey took a very long time. How long? Well, the entire round trip of the life, or sorry, the entire first trip of this person's life uh, actually took up all of uh, Marco Polo's early childhood. In fact, Marco Polo's father and uncle did not know of Marco Polo's existence until they returned to Venice from their first trip. It was then that they decided that, oh, I have a son. I might as well take him with me when I go back to, of course, visit the Mongolian chiefstains and clans and khans. Okay, so what exactly happened next is to much speculation, but basically the Polos essentially, who live in Italy, decided to have a meeting with the Pope. Now, the Pope at the time actually passed away. As a result, they were basically waiting for the next Pope to be elected. And while this process sometimes can be very quick, this was not the case with it for the Polos. As a result of waiting and getting to know each other better, they sort of got, I don't know how to explain it, they sort of gotten the itch to keep on traveling. So as a result, they moved to other points all over the world and started trading again. 
but it was eventually with the new pope's blessing that they received the ability to take holy relics of Christianity to the Mongolians that were in control of Asia. As a result, Genghis Khan's grandson, who was you know Emperor Khan at this time, Kublai Khan as he became to be known as, Kublai eventually tolerated all religions in his empire, something that was very different than Western Christian Europe at that time. Kublai, who was very familiar with uh, you know, the different various religions, the Mongolians had their own sort of religion, the best to be described as the sky religion, although I'm probably not doing it enough justice, so please do not hate mail me for that, but basically praying to deities, multiple deities of the earth and heaven and sky. And in fact, that particular religion uh, that, the Mongol, that the Mongols followed basically said that the entire earth was for the Mongols to conquer. But we'll get into that stuff later. But basically what you need to know at this point is that Kublai Khan tolerated all religions. Jewish, Muslim, uh, different uh, Christians, different all different types of religions that existed. Buddhists, um, you know, Zoroastrianism, if I'm saying that even right. Uh, all these types of religions sort of were incorporated into the empire. In fact, pretty much what the Mongols did was, was that they were a very powerful military. Whenever they invaded somewhere, they would learn from the customs of the place that they were invading, and they would take some of those advisors with them and incorporate them into their empire. So by the time uh, the Polos arrived back with Marco Polo until Kublai Khan had been ruling for some time. Kublai Khan, desperate for any sort of news outside of his empire, was curious to learn from the Polos. As a result, the Polos had grown to learn the Mongolian tongue and, of course, most likely other languages as well, such as Persian, that helped them travel and traverse the empire as well. It is believed during Marco Polo's travels they did not just go down the Silk Road into China, but they also went into India. Uh, so that he, visited, sorry, he visited various countries as a tax collector working for Kublai Khan. But essentially, Marco Polo was a very, very world-renowned explorer. And it was during his time in you know, Eastern Asia that he became sort of accustomed to technological devices that were yet to be seen in the West. So, what, what places did Marco Polo see? Marco Polo saw, like I said, all of China, places that were in Asia. Uh, he dared to think about going to Vietnam, Korea, possibly Japan, but ended up not doing that because the Khan could not conquer Japan, uh, but also other various places as well uh, in the empire, and eventually even into Africa, you know, places in Asia also, such as Afghanistan, Pakistan, uh, Zanzibar in Africa, like I said, potentially Ethiopia, and before making it around the globe and back to, of course, Venice, where eventually he was an old man by the time he got back. In fact, that's where the whole story sort of takes place. Marco Polo's adventures were just basically him wandering around into various parts of different empires and understanding their culture and language differences. It was his job to sort of assess what in the world was going on. The Khan was only one man, and the Mongolians were stretched very thin in their army, so it was up to people like Marco Polo, travelers who would go from place to place to see what in the world is going on there. So during Marco Polo's travels and adventures, he documents a lot of this. 
you know, places that he's never been and incorporated for the first time. A lot of these eventually would make their way over to the West, and it's our first exposure for many Westerners into what different religions are like and what basically Asia is. All right, so, with all that being said, Marco started off as being a sort of Christian, you know, writer, very, very, you know, succinct and making detailed notes but eventually his opinions take on a more global view and he is less harsh to those religions that are not the same as him. So in his adventures and travels, Marco Polo basically nearly dies quite a bit. And uh, through the grace of God, he's able to make it back to Venice and where we learn of you know, his fame and fortune and eventually his capture by uh, opponent in military war. And that's basically where the book begins. Marco Polo is captured by a Genese warship. He is taken to prison, where eventually he is given the freedom to write his stories down. These stories, while he worked with a fellow author, eventually would become published in the Western world, giving many Westerners their first exposure to what is now modern-day Asia. But, of course, at the time, was very, very, very different. And so, like I said, this is uh, the bridge and the gap. But it wasn't just the jewels and the money and the trading that you know, Marco really wanted to open up. It was more than that. And that's what we're going to get into now. See, Marco Polo witnessed things that had yet to be um, happening in Western Europe. A great example of this is paper currency. Paper currency is a banking system that was not yet developed in the Western Europe society. At this point in time in Venice, they used the Ducat, and eventually other rubies and gems and gold were eventually replaced with the Ducat system. Uh, you know, Florence, for instance, used the Florentines, and it just depended upon what part of the country or city-state you were in that typically developed what kind of money you were getting or exchange rates. And in the case of Marco Polo, uh, he witnessed firsthand how a globalized banking system works and the importance of it. So basically, when Marco was on his travels along through these many countries, he noticed that many goods and services were bought not with gems and not with actual pieces of gold coins, but rather pieces of paper that the Khan, the Mongolian Empire, enforced as law, as this, is, this piece of paper is worth this much in gold. And that gold standard is what prevailed for many, many years. But basically, Khan's use of paper money opened a whole new world open to finance. Uh, imagine, if you will, back in the day, as a trader, you could only carry with you what, how many gems and valuables that are actually worth. But imagine if all of a sudden all that was converted to paper money. If all that was converted into paper money, it would be a lot less space, and you could carry more with you. And the advantages, of course, of an intricate banking system would be foreseen in the West in many, many, many years in the future. But that's just the first of many examples. Another example is a heating source, coal. Coal was unseen in the West. So the fact that Marco Polo witnessed firsthand an alternative energy source, that was able to help greatly many people in Western Europe. This was probably brought back to them the ideas of using coal and what what coal is and how important it is. People had been using coal in China for a very, very long time. And for Marco Polo to bring coal back to Western Europe was a fantastic idea and probably made him very rich as well. 
Um, okay, another great example is the printing press. Now, ironically, Marco did not fully appreciate what a printing press was, but a printing press had been operating in China for some time. So, although movable type and print would not show up in Western Europe for many years later, the idea of the fact that Marco actually witnessed what this was like is something that is glossed over in the stories and history. But most likely, Marco Polo did witness printing and the importance of being able to print massive amounts of books in a short time. The irony, like I said, of this sort of technology is lost on him and unfortunately would not show up, like I said, in Western Europe for a very, very long time. Okay, gunpowder. Gunpowder is another great example of something that had been used in China for thousands of years, but the concept would change warfare forever. Again, the Khan and his fellow soldiers are the greatest soldiers in the world, you know, at this time in history. There are multiple types of examples of combat that the Mongolians were basically capable of, but the idea that the Khans could never fully conquer the world was sort of an idea flipped on its head. You see, the way the Mongolian tribes worked, especially in Genghis Khan's day, was you know one tribe would attack the other and eventually would incorporate it into their community, and eventually that developed until one Khan ruled them all, which was Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan's relatives eventually took power of his family, and uh, those sort of Khans were eventually Mongolians that would evade other countries. As we specified, places like China were highly susceptible to Mongolian invasion. Places like the Great Wall of China were built just so they could deter attacks such as these from Mongolians. Because the Mongolians, although very valuable and very powerful warriors, they were also some of the most brutal people on earth. Living in some of the harshest conditions, the fiercest warriors came out of a desire for better life. And of course, their women and children were treated differently as well, as in compared to other countries. Alright, so, gunpowder, like I said, was discovered by the Chinese, and this source, you know, that was eventually supplicated to the West, was what eventually gave way to modern gunfare and modern warfare. But basically, guns were not a thing in the Western society world yet. You know, we don't give Marco Polo enough credit, you know, with bringing the ideas of the West and the East together. But basically, without this knowledge firsthand, it would not be available to people hundreds of years later. A good example to think of it is one great technology that Marco Polo brought back was lenses that possibly came from the Chinese or lenses for eyesight, for poor eyesight. This idea eventually led to the development of the microscope and telescope. Things like the Italians, you know, advancing the scientific nature of the world, such as uh, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, people that were, you know, researching different various medicines. All of this came from basically Marco Polo's journey to the East and bringing it back to the West. And all scientific achievement, everything that would not have been possible without Marco Polo returning and being able to write it out in great detail. A lot of sources also confirm that Marco Polo was in, in fact, China and in Mongolia and other regions because there's documentation of him being in those places. So it's not like he just made the stuff up. Although there is the possibility that he did over-glorify his roles in a lot of major achievements and battles.
But most importantly, what I'm trying to say is without Marco Polo adventuring in the first place to the east, there would not be a Christopher Columbus who would be wanting to go sail around the world to find India and the west. And as a result, North America would probably not be as likely to be discovered as it was today in the same time period that it was. Now, you can argue that there are different people who discovered North America first, but at the time being, you know, especially if you go to school, you will be first to, to be known that when everyone teaches you about North America, they t- teach you that Christopher Columbus sailed in 1492 and discovered North America. And although that's technically not true, he was the inspiration for the Spanish and Portuguese empires to expand and build upon their countries in the northern hemisphere here. And as a result, new empires were forged and lost and eventually lead the way for Great Britain, France, and Germany, as well as other colonies, to declare imperialism and usher in a new age in which other countries, such as my home country, the United States, would not be available if it were not for people such as Marco Polo, who explored the world all the way back in the 1200s. That is my podcast today. Thank you for listening. I hope all of you enjoy this podcast. My next book is going to be about the atomic bomb and the countdown to 1945. Thank you so much, and it was a pleasure talking with all of you. Please remember, if you liked what you listened to today, please share it with a friend. I do appreciate you introducing this podcast to other people, and most importantly, I do enjoy listening to your feedback. And if you have any particular book you want me to read or any questions you have, please reach out to me. Thank you again. You can reach out to me at Scott, S-C-O-T-T, Bernstein, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N, 16, at yahoo.com. Thank you and have a great day.